<clears throat> so thank you for praying for me. Um, Martin's just getting my slides up. Um, I will begin there. Um, the last time um, I spoke, I shared, ended up sharing um, about the parable of the prodigal son and how the father has his arms wide open for both of his lost sons, if you were here, um, offering that everlasting embrace and celebrating that one lost wayward son who, who returns home. And the father throws an extravagant um, feast in celebration, um, which has brought me very sweetly to where I'd like to start today and what I've been chewing on, like a few, a few food, <laughs> little, um, yeah, the theme of food. But um, yeah, it brings me to a great point today, and I've been chewing on this since I last spoke, which is two of, two, two of my favorite things in life is food and Jesus. Um, <laughs> and so um, that's where we're going to go. Um, Food. Oh, there. Thank you, Martin. Thanks. Um, Food is central to the Bible, and I think I'm only very much on the surface. Um, Thank you. Um, When I've been reading and looking into its relevance, um, it's absolutely central from the very beginning to the end. If we go right to the beginning and we look at the fall, um, it was Eve who was tempted to eat from the wrong tree. Eve wasn't tempted by money, sex, or power. It was something much more basic. It's a primal drive within us, which so often can spin out of control. And I stand here knowing how that can spin out of control. You've seen my journey, um, and that's food. Our fall was, it has always been, And it always will be that we are not satisfied in God and what he gives. We hunger for something more, for something else. And so often, like I spoke last time, we'll run away from God. (laughs) The only thing, though, we all know, we've all tasted, is that um, that will satisfy our hunger for more, is to hunger for the one who comes down to Bethlehem and offers himself as bread to our starved souls. It's really fitting today um, just to talk about Bethlehem because we're at the start of Advent um, and Bethlehem is two words in Hebrew uh, which means house, so Beth, the first part of that word Bethel is house and bread Lehem. John 6.35 says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Quite literally, the bread of life was born in the house of bread. That alone has me convinced with Jesus. I, just amazing, isn't it? <laughs> He's always a step ahead, Jesus even the place he was born, the mystery of our God so large becomes a baby so small. I've been held a newborn baby yesterday and it's just a miracle every time you see a little baby, two-day-old baby. And our God, infinite, became infant. Can I encourage you today at the beginning of Advent to just use these weeks um, 
each day just to ponder um, and be quiet and wait on the coming of God in the manger who makes himself bread for us. Jesus was even born in a feeding trough. He couldn't have made it any more clearer to us. He was born in a feeding trough in the house of bread, showing us very clearly that he will only feed us fully. So let us delve in like animals do. You know, when the farmer puts the feed in those big bags or it chugs out into a, a trough and the animals go straight in. Just like to read, I've bought my books, you've seen me with my books, and I'll come to that at the end. But one of the books that um, I just would like to read from um, is from a lady called Anne Voskamp. I'll go through at the end, specifically which ones. But she writes, we could slow and cease the profanity and see the inner mystery of her. Like our own rich variation of the slow food movement, we could begin the slow Christmas we could set aside the to-do list that profane the inner, ministry, uh, the inner mystery sorry, and slow to see the weight of glory. Hurry always empties a soul. The only ladder over you is love. And love came down. Oh, there we go. The manger. Good. Um, back to Eve. We lost ourselves at the fall, at one tree with the choice she made. And we only find ourselves at another tree, the cross. As you put up your Christmas trees in these next few weeks, and you, or if you don't put one up, you see one, you know, on the streets there's lovely trees. Just, re- if you can, rest in front of it and look at it because it's, um, it's like a ladder, isn't it? The shape of it are like rungs on a ladder, Jesus is your ladder that hung on a tree for you and he offers you forgiveness. And a hope, like you were just saying, he offers us a hope. I can't really go through the entire theme of food. I'd really like to. It's, it's absolutely fascinating um, in the Bible. It really is. I'm absolutely fascinated by it um, as I've been reading. Um, but if you wanted to look at um, food in the Bible, I would really recommend reading the Gospel of Luke. It's, um, it's full to the brim with stories of Jesus eating with um, people. The Gospel of Luke is, um, it reveals to us a radical uh, application of sharing a meal with sinners. It's unique comparatively to the other Gospels um, in its emphasis on what theologians call table fellowship. And Jesus is the master of table fellowship. Here he was. The importance of table fellowship in our modern Western world uh, can be often underestimated. In Jesus' times, to share a table with another person was making a huge social statement about yourself and your guest. Um, When you extended a dinner invitation as a Jew, it was really understood as, I'd like to enter into deep friendship with you. Which is why in Luke 7.34, it says, 
the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It would not have escaped, it did not ex- escape the Pharisees' attention that Jesus was, was meant to befriend the rabble. It wouldn't have escaped them. It, was, it would be impossible to overestimate the impact that these meals would have had upon the poor and sinners. By accepting them as friends and equals, Jesus had taken away their shame, humiliation and guilt. And by showing that they mattered to him as people, he gave them a sense of dignity. And I'm sure um, you've all tasted that yourself when we've shared meals. We're when I just look at you, I'm so thankful to call each of you church family and when we've shared meals. I remember when we um, first visited Paul and Mel, Paul said, your soul will be filled with great food and they do a wonderful lunch as well. <laughs> and then we were here. <laughs> um, but it's just a privilege to, you know, when we share our lunches, it is a, it's a bit of work, isn't it? But it's, it's such a, a privilege it really is. In fact, at, um, a Thanksgiving meal that Andy and I went to last um, Saturday evening, we have some American friends, um, we shared a delicious feast all together, some uh, with people we knew and other people we didn't know. And we heard, as Steve will know of the tradition, but we heard from each person what they're thankful for. Um, and it's, it's very moving, actually. Uh, you get a real insight deep into someone's life. It's a privilege when someone shares. I think we Brits can learn quite a lot from the Americans in that respect about celebrating well and with one another. One of the men last week, he was in his 60s, and um, he said he was thankful that he had been invited to that meal. He said over all his years as a businessman, traveling the world and having plenty, he was in fact lonely. Um, To be invited even if it had just been a cup of tea, he said last Saturday, would have meant just so much. It was, um, it was actually a delicious feast, so we got blessed with lots of wonderful people. But he just said he was so thankful, these were his words, to be included, to be accepted, and to be at ease around the table with strangers. Amen. That's table fellowship. You see, the table in your home or here, is a very ordinary place, isn't it, the table? It's routine, it's everyday, and it can be overlooked as a place of life-changing community. Um, By setting a table and sharing a meal, we provide the context for which people feel loved, where people feel heard, and a place where God's spirit can move. Setting a table is the ministry of facilitation. It's a context of welcome, acceptance, which we saw, didn't we, in that prodigal, you know, the prodigal son meal. The practice of eating and drinking is central to the kingdom of God. Jesus ate with the lost, he ate with the community, and Jesus ate with God. I've put here um, all the references in Luke um, to where, just to show the frequency of Jesus eating with others. And I would really, what I would really like to do is unpack each one. (laughs) 
um, but I'm not, I haven't got time, but I will read them out to you. I think it's important. And those that are listening online, I'll do it for you as well. Welcome. I hope you're having a cup of tea. Um, and those that aren't with us today. Um, so, and, and also some lovely pictures um, from from our, our church, you'll see them. So Luke 5, 29 to 32, Jesus eats with the tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. Luke, you'll know all these. Luke 7, 36 to 50, Jesus is anointed by a woman in the house of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. Luke 9, 10 to 36, Jesus feeds the 5,000, just like that. Done. Luke 10, 25 to 42, Jesus eats in the house of Mary and Martha. I particularly like that one. Luke 14, 7 to 24, Jesus shares about the parable of the large banquet in which he urges people to invite the poor (coughs) rather than their friends. And obviously uh, the famous account of the Last Supper before Jesus' death in Luke 22, 14 to 23. In the Gospel of Luke, even when Jesus isn't eating, reference to food abounds throughout the gospel it's safe to say that in that gospel Jesus is either going to a meal he's at a meal or he's coming from a meal and food is at the heart of all that is good and beautiful in our world I think because ultimately it sustains life we are really blessed to live in Bristol Um, it's a city full of wonderful eateries and cafes and a rich diverse um, food choice not only has it got a great place to eat but um, it's also got great food connections and food networks a friend recently uh, had a birthday party and the, I asked oh how do you do the food she's um, a Muslim lady and she when for birthdays they have big feasts and I said oh how do you do the food and she said oh I found um, a group of Syrian women in Bristol who cook Syrian tradition f- traditional food and then we with you know, they catered for us. So Bristol's full of these sort of networks. Isn't that a lovely expression? I, I just love that. And she said, we couldn't speak the lang- our, lang- our language. was totally different, but the food spoke. <laughs> Do take advantage of discovering new places in Bristol. If you ever need anybody to go with you, <laughs> I'm here. Okay? <laughs> when, um, oh yes, when speaking to a friend's um, mother-in-law this week, about kind of the theme of what I'm going to be talking on. Um, She um, noted how many people don't share meals in today's society, and she spoke about the loneliness that prevails amongst us. Mother Teresa said, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. Her comments, my my friend's mother-in-law's comments, echoed precisely some of the research that I read um, recently from Oxford University. The paper is interestingly called Breaking Bread, uh, The Functions of Social Eating. And it reveals that the more often people eat with others, the more likely they are to feel happy and satisfied with their lives. The study, uh, which had a sample size of 2,000, if you're interested, I'm always quite interested in sample sizes because it then shows you how relevant the statistics are. You know, if it's a sample size of five, I'm not going to... It's not... Yeah, so 2,000. And the study aimed to shine uh, light on the UK's mealtimes and how often we eat with other people. Despite the clear correlation between eating together and social bonding, 76% of that sample um, 
size, 2000, when they were questioned, said that they thought sharing a meal was a good way to bring people together. But yet the survey shows um, that many meals are eaten alone in the UK. 69% of that group had never shared a meal with any of their neighbours. 37% had never eaten with a community group. And while a fifth of the people said said it had been more than six months since they'd shared a meal with their parents. The study researcher, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Dunbar, um, writes, in these increasingly fraught times when community cohesion is ever more important, making time for and joining in communal meals, sorry, communal meals is perhaps the single most important thing we can do both for our own mental health and well-being and for that of the wider community. Do you remember when I said that Jesus is always a step ahead? Um, He's way ahead of any Oxford researcher. Don't be intimidated by a paper. Jesus was way ahead of all this stuff. Through table fellowship, Jesus ritually acted out his insight into the Father's indiscriminate love. The inclusion of all is a dramatic expression of the message of the redeeming love of our gracious and merciful Father. I'd just like to plug at this point the Mental Health Awareness Day that Church is hosting on the 8th of December um, from 10 till 2. Um, It aims to increase our understanding of mental health and to break down the stigma and for everybody to leave better equipped and with tools to effectively love and support those struggling in appropriate and practical ways. I'd encourage you to go there. There's going to be a mental health nurse attending and a delicious lunch whereby you can put into practice exactly what we're talking about today. Can I encourage us to be a people who are rushing to attend the church communion meal at the first Friday of the month. The next one is the 14th of December. Just interestingly, the words communion, community, and companion all come from the same root Latin word. Com means with, together. And then the companion is panis, is the Latin word. And that means bread, to feed. In communion and community, the root Latin word is unis, and that means oneness, union. So those three words mean with, together, bread and to feed, oneness, union. Let's be a people who are already asking, what can I bring to the Christmas lunch on the 23rd of December? Let's already be thinking who we can invite to that. May we pursue one another and not succumb to the lies that will often stop us entering table fellowship. My house isn't tidy enough. My children get a bit edgy. I can't cook very well. The dog needs walking. I haven't even got a kitchen. I live with mum and dad. I'm a student. I've only got a dorm. I'm not chatty enough. I find it too hard. These are all lies. Actually, they're not lies. They're truths, actually, that I've come under. Because 
just uh, hear me out. They're, they're relevant, those things. And at times, you must be wise. Okay? So if it, if it is that um, it's not right with the kids or, you know, timings or whatever, listen to that. Be wise. But what I want to just um, explain and, and hear me out is that I'm not speaking about entertainment. I'm not talking Delia Smith and your higgy Danish, Swedish vibes with your nice linen you know, tablecloths um, and your matching crockery, your kinfolk stuff. Um, I'm not speaking... Entertainment is, is exclusion, okay? But hospitality is an open invitation. Entertainment is an event. You have me, I have you. Hospitality is rhythmic, Table fellowship is rhythmic. It's an act of generosity. You give and accept nothing in return because the giving is the gift. The meeting with one another and taking those brave steps of vulnerability with Jesus right in our midst, that's the gift. And I I experienced that this week with Chloe, actually. Uh, I'll all set the scene nicely for you. Um, There were toys everywhere three children snotting the place out. Um, There was a fight about a Paw Patrol character which was reenacted at the back of church during worship. Um, (laughs) I burnt the kale and there was a Morrison's fish cake that I had on offer. But um, from that place, (laughs) we delved into some deep parts of our lives and Chloe very graciously uh, drew out some sin uh, in me and help me to just see afresh a situation with grace-filled eyes, not my defensive, hurting eyes. It led a way for transforming love, and that is table fellowship. Let us become a people in the early church. Oh, I forgot about the slides. There we are. Who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, Acts 2.25. I'll um, end with some musings from a book that I'm currently reading. I haven't finished it yet. It's by a lady called Rosaria Butterfield. What a great name, Rosaria Butterfield. (laughs) She was a far-left, radical, lesbian feminist, a tenure professor with a speciality in postmodern critical theory and literature, and she was writing a book about how much a threat Bible-believing Christians are and a a menace to society. As part of her research, she had to meet a few of these Bible-believing Christians. She wrote an editorial in a New York newspaper that was a scathing accusation on a local men's Christian conference. Um, A local pastor wrote a letter which was gracious and a thoughtful reply. And it came to her with an invitation for dinner. Rosaria knew that she had to do some research and so uh, she took the offer uh, I can't, can't even imagine how they both would have felt. <laughs> like, can you imagine the two part? They must have just both felt quite nervous, I think, meeting. But she writes very powerfully um, how she experienced hospitality. Love 
expressed as a welcome over a meal and how it changed her life. She came back again for another meal and again and again and again. And then, long story short, she began attending the Bible study and then the church. And she's now married to a pastor. Uh, They're foster parents and they run a Christian commune from their home. She writes, listen to this, radical, ordinary hospitality. Radical, ordinary hospitality. Those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God. They recoil at reducing people at category. They see God's image reflected in every human being. They know the gospel comes with a house key. Do you know anyone else who's like that? Jesus. Jesus. What if we were people who turned our homes as outposts for the kingdom of God in our neighborhoods? And what if our tables became a really tangible expression of love and service to one another and our neighbors? What if we just saw our tables not as blocks of wood and as metal, but um, as an opportunity to show the Father to one another? And to those who aren't yet his sons and daughters, I'm confident that if we had eyes like God's x-ray eyes and his vision, I'm absolutely confident we'd see people hiding in their homes who are lonely, hurting, and desperate for the love of the father in the family. And um, what I loved One of the things I love the most about doing Alpha this year and what I look forward to doing Alpha next year is just how the sharing of a meal really gave way and ease to conversation and and meaningful debate about Jesus and who I am and who he says I am. Here we are. So, um, like with any good meal you are going to have a takeaway doggy bag now. (laughs) And so I'd like you to bring to your mind um, your next door neighbor, the person, the people that live to the left of you or to the right of you or those uh, across the street from you or if you're in in halls, the the dorm to the left or right across the hallway. And um, just over this advent, um, open your home and provide an opportunity to invite those people in. Uh, and even if, um, if you are n- not uh, comfortable to go to that point, just look to the person to the left now where you are and to the right where you're sat right now and invite that person, the person behind you, in front of you. <laughs> um, and invite that person to your home to... Just come for a coffee, a very simple meal. Nothing, it doesn't have to be elaborate, like I said. Simple, okay? And invite the Holy Spirit to really build those connections, to, to lead a way of vulnerability with one another. That does take brave steps from both parts. So that come March, 
you can extend your invitation to the table. Oh, January. Alpha. Wait, is, is it Alpha January? Oh, sorry, I thought it was April. I'm so pleased that you're on the ball. So, this month, be inviting someone to that come January. Yes. Soon is better. Good. So that come January, you can extend your invitation for the table in your home to the tables at Begbrook Social Club and come along to Alpha. I started, uh, yeah, I said there's some book recommendations. The best place to go to, if I leave you with anything, is for this theme is the Gospel of Luke. And like I said, I'd really love to have unpacked those references in depth each one but I haven't got time um, and then uh, I will just show you the other books that I've, I've mentioned um, The Gospel Comes with a House Key uh, by Rosaria Butterfield this is a good one Present Over Perfect by Shauna I don't know how you say her name Nequist. Uh, she's also written one called Bread and Wine which is a lovely book. actually has recipes in it as well. It's quite helpful. <laughs> um, this one I really recommend. It's called The Greatest Gift, Unwrapping the Full Love Story of Christmas by Anne Voskamp. It's a very um, lovely, just bite-sized, going through every day in Advent. So I recommend that. Um, oh, I missed one. Um, celebrating Jesus in the Biblical Feast. And I haven't even touched on that today, but that, that, blows your mind fascinating that's a wonderful book i really recommend that one um that's about the jewish feasts festivals and how jesus is the fulfillment of that and they very often center around food so i do recommend that one um and then this one um brendan manning a glimpse of jesus i've not read all of that yet but it's it's wonderful um and this is a secular lovely book uh, but if you have young children or grandchildren festivals family and food and it's just a lovely um yeah lovely sort of recipes and um poems and and ideas but just to cultivate that culture really in your family home of sharing food with your children and bringing that in from a young age thank you